The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Hey there. I hope you're looking at me and listening to me. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in talk. Um, and uh, thank you for listening or for watching wherever you listen on radio, on podcast, on stream, wherever you watch on YouTube Live, LinkedIn Live, Facebook Live, or Twitter's uh, Periscope. Happy Friday, TGIF. I hope everybody's had a wonderful week getting and looking forward to the weekend. I'm pretty much with two teenagers to stay non-paid Uber driver as a mother at this point. So people are like, have a great weekend. I'm like, what weekend, you know? Um, we're really glad to have you with us, uh, whether you're listening or watching, lots to talk about. So uh, let's get to it and kick it off and check what's ripped. It's Earth Day, and since the first Earth Day back on April 22nd, 1970, the U.S. national average temperature has climbed by 2.6% Fahrenheit. The states have warmed, many of them significantly. Why does this matter? Well, Earth Day is supposed to be a symbol of the environmental movement, originally born out of air pollution and water pollution. But now it is a reminder of human-caused climate change, and that's leading to more frequent more severe heat waves, wildfires, stronger hurricanes, and heavier precipitation events. When you look at the numbers out of 49 states with sufficient data and 246 cities examined by researchers at Climate Central, a climate communications nonprofit group, each state and 244 of the cities saw temperatures climb over the past 52 years. The numbers themselves tell a story here. 30%, that's the increase in the atmospheric concentration of heat trapping carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and that's since 1970. 7.7% Fahrenheit, that's the amount that Reno, Nevada has warmed since 1970. So it puts it first on the list of fastest warming cities in our nation. Other cities in the Southwest saw large increases as well, and that reflects the drying trend in the region as well as expanding urban populations and shifting atmospheric circulation consistent with global warming. I can say here in the state of California, we're seeing uh, the damage um, of, that, uh, of that dryness. Not only does it result uh, you know, in, in drought, uh, and that you know, results in dead animals and dead plant life and certainly hurts agriculture, but it is uh, just uh, like a, a match uh, where there's a lot of brush for wildfires. And we've seen an increase of wildfires and the damage that those fires do to humans, to animals, to plants, and to the uh, topography uh, of the land, not just here in California, but in places um, that are affected uh, by this shifting atmospheric uh, global warming and drought and dryness. 4.3% Fahrenheit, that's the total average warming in Alaska during the past 52 years, and it earns it the title of the fastest warming state. Yep, Alaska. Climate and We've seen what that's done to polar bears, right? Uh, I, I, my, my kids love animals. I love animals. My husband loves animals. We also love adventure when we go on vacations. And there's a vacation we've always wanted to do up in Churchill, um, Canada, uh, to go see polar bears and to see beluga whales and even get, like, you can get in the water, not in the water with them, but in a wetsuit. It's called aqua gliding. And you get on, like, you know, sort of like a raft. You put your face in, and sometimes a beluga whale comes right up to you. And, you know, we like doing, you know, fun, crazy things like that. Uh, in the wild, you know, as opposed to seeing, uh, you know, uh, animals, mammals in a zoo. 
And uh, it used to be you could only do this in the winter, and now you can do it in April. You can even do it in June or July. When I say do it, you can see polar bears in June or July. Why? Because there's so much melting and so much lack of glaciers and icebergs for these polar bears that they kind of just hang around town, so they're easy to spot uh, by locals uh, in this area near the Arctic Circle. Um, And even though it's more beneficial for those of us like myself that want to see a polar bear alive in the wild, it's not good for the polar bears and the polar bear uh, population. Um, So anyway, climate projections have consistently showed that higher latitudes would warm faster than the rest of the world, to my point. In addition to the Southwest, the Mid-Atlantic, the Northeast, also seeing rapidly rising temperatures. Vermont, they've experienced a 3%, a 3-degree increase, not percent, sorry. So what's next? Recent reports from the UN's top climate panel starkly show how climate change is affecting the planet in transformative ways and that the world is not on course to meet the temperature targets laid out in the Paris Agreement. However, scientists have shown that Limit war- limiting warming, well, it will be cost less costly than suffering from the consequences of that warming. And a portfolio of solutions, they already exist to tackle the problem. Let's listen to President Biden's Earth Day remarks from earlier today. On this day 52 years ago, millions of Americans of every age and background rallied together for the first Earth Day, a vision of a healthier, more prosperous America, and quite frankly, world. And over time, they delivered cleaner air, cleaner water, proof that a sustainable environment can mean a stronger economy. They're not in conflict with one another. And today, a new generation of Americans is leading the way against the threat of a climate crisis. My administration stands with them as we listen to the science and turn crisis into opportunity, modernizing our infrastructure to make it more resilient to extreme weather spurring investment in clean energy that cuts costs for families and businesses, bolsters our energy independence, and creates millions of good-paying union jobs. Last year, the United States deployed more solar, wind, battery storage, and electric vehicles than any other year in our history. We set ambitious standards to cut pollution from cars, trucks, and industry as well. We're advancing locally-led conservation efforts and protecting our public lands. We're reasserting America's leadership in the world once again, including recruiting over 100 countries to reduce methane emissions and announcing the first ever carbon-based trade deal. And we're lifting up communities and workers too often left behind and left out. We know there's much more to do. And this Earth Day, we have to recommit ourselves to the work that lies ahead to achieve a more secure and prosperous, more sustainable future. One where we strengthen our economy, pass on a healthy planet down to our children and grandchildren, make life better for everybody. So happy Earth Day. Let's keep the faith here. And that is President uh, Joe Biden on uh, this Earth Day. Uh, Speaking of audio, before I play this audio, uh, former President Donald Trump and House uh, Minority Leader, the former House Speaker from uh, the Republican side of the aisle, Kevin McCarthy, they spoke on the phone last night because there's a newly released audio of McCarthy telling Republican leaders that Donald Trump should resign. This was in the wake of the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. Uh, The audio has contradicted McCarthy's claim that he did not push for Trump to resign after that deadly insurrection by a pro-Trump mob. But today, more audio clips have surfaced you're going to hear what the former speaker, the minority leader, said. Here is audio obtained by the New York Times of the House Minority Leader 
just days after the January 6th insurrection. This is McCarthy talking with Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney about suggesting that President Donald Trump resign about the 25th Amendment and a possible pardon from Vice President Pence. Take a listen. Liz, you on the phone? Yeah, I'm here. Thanks, Kevin. Um, I guess there's a question. When when we were talking about the 25th Amendment resolution, um, yeah. and you asked if, if, you know, what happens if it gets there after he's gone, is, is there any chance, are you hearing that he might resign? Is there any reason to think that might happen? I've had a few discussions. My gut tells me no. Um, I'm seriously thinking of having that conversation with him tonight. I haven't talked to him in a couple days. Um, from what I know of him, I mean, you guys all know him too. Do you think he'd ever back away? But what what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to call him. My This, this is what I think. Um, no one will pass the House. I think there's a chance he'll pass the Senate even when he's gone. Um, and I think there's a lot of different ramifications for that. Now, I haven't had a discussion with the Dems that if he did design, would it not happen? Now, this is one personal fear I have. Um, I do not want to get into any conversations about Penn's part or anything like that. I mean, the only discussion I would have with him is that I think this will pass, and it would be my recommendation we should resign. Um, I mean, that would be my take, but I don't think he would take it, but I don't know. And here's McCarthy saying Trump admitted he bore some responsibility for January. I thought we had 40 seconds. It's a 23-second cut. No? Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll hear two more cuts of audio uh, from uh, the uh, former speaker, the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, uh, Republican here from the state of California, and contradictions to what he said he said or asked for it didn't, and what we actually are hearing on audio in this conversation with Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with that, more from Ruth Root from the headlines, and our guests coming up in the second half of the hour, and you, of course, right after this. We are back. Happy Friday. I'm Leslie Marshall, guest coming up in the second half of the hour. But this is the second half of Ripped from the headlines. I was talking about the contradictions and, uh, you know, from a former minor from the minority leader, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, as audio has now been revealed. The New York Times had um, obtained and shared with uh, all of the public uh, via the press. Uh, and we heard him talking with Republican Congresswoman uh, Liz Cheney. Um, we heard him uh, suggesting that President Trump resign, uh, talked about invoking the 25th Amendment, and even talked about a possible pardon from Vice President uh, Mike Pence. Uh, we played that before the break. Here are a couple more pieces of audio. The first up is uh, Kevin McCarthy saying that Donald Trump admitted he bore some responsibility for January 6th. This was during the January 11th phone call, five days after the insurrection. Take a listen. But let me be very clear to all of you, and I've been very clear to the president. He bears responsibilities for his words and actions. No ifs, ands, or buts. I asked him personally today, does he hold responsibility for what happened? Does he feel bad about what happened? He told me he does have some responsibility for what happened. Um, and he needs to acknowledge that. Never has, has he? Uh, McCarthy now uh, telling House Republican leaders what Trump did on January 6th is unacceptable and nobody should defend it. Interestingly enough, Mitch McConnell kind of had all this going on, but there's not tape of it, at least not yet. 
Here is the actual tape of McCarthy telling the House Republican leaders what I just said. All right, I know, I know this is not uh, fun. I know this is not great. I know this is uh, very tough. But what I want to do, especially through here, is uh, I don't want to rush things. I want everybody to have all the information needed. Um, I, I've, I've had it with this guy. Uh, what he did is unacceptable. Um, nobody can defend that, and nobody should defend it. <laughs> you know what kills me? The people that love Donald Trump might hate Kevin McCarthy for this, but the the, the Republicans won't. They won't divide into like a McCarthy Trump camp. They'll just all band together. And I, I got to say that's admirable. I wish my damn party Democrats would do the same thing. Seriously. Seriously, if Bernie Sanders had embraced Hillary Clinton, we wouldn't be having this conversation still uh, about what's going on in our country and what continues to go on uh, with this just uh, disgusting division along lines of insanity. I, I mean, you know, seriously, when you question, you know, oh, the election was stolen. Somebody tweeted today and I retweeted it. If the election, if Democrats were going to steal the election, we would have done it in 2016, not 2020. Anyway, let's rip another. The United Nations is seeing growing evidence of war crimes in Ukraine as a horror story. That's what human violations uh, that we're seeing unfolding. And UN Human Rights Chief Michelle Bachelet said uh, today that it is a horror story. Uh, driving the news of the Russian forces uh, during the nearly two months now of war who have indiscriminately shelled and bombed populated areas. They've killed civilians. They've wrecked hospital schools and other civilian infrastructure and actions uh, that may amount to war crimes. So when uh, Joe Biden called uh, Putin a war criminal, he wasn't that far off. The UN specifically cited reported atrocities in the Kiev suburb of Abusha, uh, where it documented the unlawful killing, including summary execution of some 50 civilians. Uh, they say that Russia's use of cluster submunitions on a railway station in the eastern Ukrainian city of Kramar Kramatorsk, uh, Kramatorsk, I'm sorry, I'm butchering some of these Ukrainian names, uh, where at least 60 civilians were killed, is, quote, emblematic of the failure to adhere to the principle of distinction, the prohibition of indiscriminate or the pro prohibition of indiscriminate attacks and the principle of precaution enshrined in international humanitarian law. At least 3000 civilians have died because they could not access medical care and because of the stress on their health during the war. And they also go on to say, the UN, quote, this includes being forced by Russian armed forces to stay in basements or not being allowed to leave their homes for days or weeks. Think about that the next time that you, uh, you know, I, I can I can actually swear, can't I, Mark? Uh, the next time you bitch, gripe and moan about wearing a mask or having to stay in your house while Uber Eats, Grubhub and Netflix are available to you and Amazon delivers. Anyway, the big picture, Russia has repeatedly denied its target civilians and rejected reports of the atrocities seen in cities like uh, Busha. Uh, the International Criminal Court and others have launched investigations into possible war crimes and other human rights violations committed in Ukraine. Uh, the war crimes have been historically hard to investigate, often they're more challenging to prosecute. Over these eight weeks, international humanitarian law has, been merely, uh, has not been merely ignored, uh, but seemingly tossed uh, aside. Um, and, and they say, quote, our work to date is detailed a horror story of violations perpetrated against civilians. We know the actual numbers of casualties are going to be much higher as the horrors inflicted in areas of intense fighting, such as Mariupol, come to light. Uh, and, and she further added the scale of summary executions of civilians in areas previously occupied by Russian forces are also emerging. 
The preservation of evidence and decent treatment of mortal remains must be ensured, as well as psychological and other relief of victims and their relatives. The bottom line, first and foremost, this senseless war must stop, she said, but as the fighting shows no signs of abating, it is vital that all parties to the conflict give clear instructions to their combatants. Click something too quick. But as the fighting, uh, let me say that again, as the fighting shows no sign of abating, it is vital that all parties to the conflict give clear instructions to their combatants to strictly respect international humanitarian law and international humanitarian uh, rights. Uh, just uh, j just absolutely uh, uh, terrible. Um, uh, more on uh, Ukraine, another story from Ukraine, and that is a poll. Most Americans, um, oh, wait a minute. What? I thought I had more in Ukraine and I clicked and it was a mask mandate poll. Uh, let me see, let me see, let me see what I did wrong here. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, let me see, uh, another Ukraine story. Nope, when I clicked that, oh, okay, sounds good. Uh, sorry, when I clicked on the link, I, it said Ukraine, more on Ukraine story, but uh, there is, let's divert and rip another. Uh, now I want to talk about uh, a poll for mask mandates we're going to throw in here because uh, this has just come out. Uh, Americans' opinions on airport mask requirements, that's a percentage who support mask uh, requirements in airports. I would be one of them. A total of 75%, yep, three quarters of Americans, 91% of Democrats, 57% uh, of Republicans, so that's a majority in both. And a percentage who say they're very likely to wear a mask in airports, a total 46 uh, 58% Democrats, 34% Republicans. Count me, I was supposed to fly to New York next week, but I am starting to fly back to D.C. If you recall, before the pandemic, I did a lot of my uh, Fox hits on set in New York and D.C. I'm going to be uh, doing uh, more flying again. So mask mandates in airports weren't actually bothering Americans too much. That's according to the latest uh, Ipsos uh, polling. Uh, the big picture here is while the end of masking requirements uh, for airlines and many airports was reportedly greeted with applause. Well, the poll shows that most Americans, even most Republicans, were fine with the requirements and are largely unmoved by their demise. In a surprising departure from the strict partisan divides we usually see on COVID, on this pandemic, Democrats, Republicans, and independents, well, they're all basically on the same page with this. Uh, Democrats and independents support mask mandates by much wider margins than Republicans, but most Republicans still on board. Like I said, 57 Republicans, uh, a percent of Republicans of that 75%. And when it comes to actual behavior. Well, the bipartisanship wanes a bit. 34% of Americans say they're likely to keep wearing the masks, uh, even though 58% uh, of Democrats do, 46% of uh, independents. Uh, majorities in all three categories said they have not been on a plane since the pandemic began. So it's one thing to say what you would do, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and asked whether the removal of mask mandates would change their willingness to fly. Well, most majority said they would not make a difference. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headlines. Great guests coming up. Uh, we are going to take a break. We'll be back with him and we'll be back with you right after this. Don't go away. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. We welcome to the program Mike Italiano. Mike is CEO of Capital Market Partnership, CMP. They're a nonprofit public charity coalition of leading investors, investment bankers, governments, NGOs, and professional firms. CMP is working to accelerate sustainable uh, a sustainable investment and by facilitating secondary markets and fixed income and equity investments, thus stimulating the economy and stopping irreversible and unmanageable systematic climate risk. Their website, capitalmarketspartnership.com. Check it out. 
Um, uh, Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us and good to have you on this Friday. Happy Earth Day, Leslie. My pleasure. And it's good to have you on this Earth Day. Uh, obviously, one of the reasons we asked you because it is a uh, Earth Day. Um, there is a, uh, a an IPCC 2030 deadline for preserving um, uh, a livable planet, right? Correct. Um, is that a realistic, achievable goal by that time um, that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, put forth, that deadline of 2030? I don't think we can argue too much with nature. <laughs> um, I think it is what it is. Uh, it's realistic if we use the money in the capital markets, which uh, there is plenty. Uh, there's investors with over $70 trillion in assets ready to be deployed uh, to reduce what IPCC said a few years ago was uh, $14 trillion of carbon pollution to preserve a habitable planet. And that's probably up now about $30 trillion. Um, but those um, assets can be regular, um, rapidly deployed through uh, higher rated green building bonds, uh, which uh, green buildings have the largest global market penetration of any sustainable activity. Uh, there's hundreds of thousands of them all over the world. So owners can issue those bonds, uh, make their buildings zero emission. Um, in San Jose, you see downtown San Jose, $2 billion of zero emission buildings. Also, uh, green initial public offerings. Uh, both those uh, have been documented to achieve the deadline, can rapidly deploy the, uh, the $30 trillion in assets. You know, this was the final part of the uh, IPCC's sixth assessment on the state of global warming. Um, and I think the message is clear, and it has been, you know, six times in a row, that the window for for keeping that heating below 1.5 degrees Celsius uh, to limit catastrophic climate impacts of worsening wildfires, which we see here in the state I'm in of California, flooding, which we see especially in the Midwest and the South, uh, that window has become very small. It certainly becomes smaller. Uh, you know, this these are facts. This is science. Why aren't politicians, um, uh, you know, I don't care if they're Democrat or Republican, and not just in the United States, but throughout the world, um, taking this much more seriously? Everybody knows, and I don't care what they're saying in public, behind closed doors, most of these individuals, who are, if we're looking at congressional members in the states, in the 50 states, in the United States, they're seeing ramifications of this flooding or, you know, more precipitation with hurricanes right. or higher winds, uh, drier temperatures. We have droughts here more so in California over the past decade than, you know, historically. And certainly we're having more uh, wildfires historically. That's just California. We're, right. we're seeing that throughout a lot of the rest of uh, the, the, the states, um, you know, in, in our nation. Why aren't, you know, why aren't they taking this more, more seriously? Because, you know, many of us are going to see this and not you know, this isn't just kicking it down the road because this is going to be like our great, our grandchildren, great grandchildren. We're not going to be here. These are things that are happening now, and that we are going to witness I agree. Uh, these events. I agree. Yeah, um, Leslie, um, if you look at the history of environmental progress, um, there hasn't been federal legislation environmentally since the '80s, and it's it's very hard uh, for the federal government to take a lead. That's why with green buildings, which is a trillion dollar a year uh, global uh, certification program, um, we started green buildings as a voluntary standard. Um, and uh, consensus standard went through a democratic approval. 
Uh, Seattle adopted it, Santa Monica, um, Austin, Texas, New York State issued tax credits, and the federal government said, this isn't going away, we're going to do it. So right now, um, what you saw is there's 18 federal agencies, 34 states, over 200 cities, 200 universities, 64 countries, and the largest building portfolio owners in the world have all adopted uh, the LEED Green Building Standard. So that's kind of a bottom-up approach. It works very well right now. Uh, we believe that the federal government will follow like they did with the Green Building Program. Right now we're working with a federal agency in a leading California city to launch green initial public offerings and higher rated green building bonds. So we know that green buildings have higher cash flows. Uh, they have 30% fewer defaults. Uh, so that's why we have higher credit ratings. That's the global measure of added financial value. So uh, we believe the federal government will rapidly follow. Um, we just need uh, a little more leadership right now, which we believe we're poised to, to have. And, and these products can move very fast because um, investors are screaming for it. Um, the investors are ready to buy them. You know, when you look at just the, the whole the whole picture, right, um, you know, we have our energy, uh, you know, systems. And, and then, of course, we have right now people getting so angry at gas prices, you know, at the right. pump. And some there there are some easy fixes, which is you know, say, forget it. I'm fed up with, you know, putting gas in a car. I can plug my right. car in. And right. that's where we're headed. We're seeing the big right. car manufacturers in the United States and throughout the world headed that way. There will be a day where you know you'll be able to buy a car that fills with gas on eBay for five bucks because it'll sit in your front yard as you know right. a decoration, right? Um, right? Fossil fuels are responsible for two thirds of planet warming carbon emissions, and that's since 1850. Right. Um, when we look at the concurrent electrification of a global energy system powered largely by wind and by sun, the cost of those renewables, which was a big issue and which politicians on the right would constantly right. bring up, that cost you know, truly factually has declined up to 85% since 2010. So all of these alternatives, um, we're even, we're even seeing of a crying out loud when you have a Tesla that you can buy for under 50 grand that you can plug in. Right. right. Uh, and I know some people may say, well, Leslie under 50 grand, but a lot of people out there that are leasing cars that are, you know, you know, around right. that or higher. Um, so, you know, is the argument about cost, um, becoming less and less, because these things are more affordable, not just for corporations, but individual consumers. No, actually, these sustainable technologies um, are more profitable. They're less risky. Uh, they're preferred by investors. Um, so the cost isn't an issue. The issue really is they're disruptive technologies. And when you look at the history of disruptive te technologies going back to the telegraph and you know superseding the pony express um they've all um really viewed that new technology as a competitor and so they try to kill it and mm. so what you're seeing is wind and solar even green buildings not so much now um are disruptive technologies threatening the status quo so it is controversial but um people make billions and billions of dollars on disruptive technologies look at tesla you know, it's a highly disruptive technology, but it's got a seven-year competitive advantage, forcing all the other major vehicle manufacturers to go electric. The federal government doesn't even need to regulate it anymore. Uh, this is how the market works. Um, so, I, you know, I think for Earth Day, where people feel like they're, they don't have an opportunity 
to do something themselves. Um, we're a nonprofit. We encourage people to get involved. There's things that people can do, um, uh, you know, to help move the move the markets. And then the government will follow. So I think it's we're poised right now to let this happen. Uh, green buildings, for example, uh, we launched it in 2000. In 15 years, it was a trillion dollar a year business. That's fast. Very. Right. So it can happen. Uh the, the, the IPCC offers uh, mitigation pathways to achieve uh, immediate uh, and deep uh, emissions reductions across all uh, sectors. And that would mean around a 50% cut, cut in greenhouse gas emissions. That's relative to the you know, levels of 2019 uh, by the end of this decade. Um, you know, I, I think you know, we talked at the onset of the interview about achieving that, if it's achievable. Um, you know, you're CEO of Capital Markets Partnership, the CMP. And you have some solutions that you've proposed that, you know, go hand in hand with the IPCC's uh, offers. Um, so first up, IPCC, we talked about 2030. Um, and you know what? We have like a minute to break. When we come back, let's talk about those uh, solutions uh, with you as CEO of Capital Markets Partnership. OK, and um, we you know, we will take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about those solutions because people always like to hear something positive and possible uh, and give them hope, especially on a Friday going into the weekend. Mike Italiano is CEO of Capital Partners uh, Par Markets Partnership, the CMP. Check out their website, capitalmarketspartnership.com. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with Mike. We'll come back with you right after this. And we're going to talk about the solutions proposed by Capital Markets Partnership, the CMP, to achieve the IPCC's 2030 deadline preserving a livable planet. Don't we all want that? I want that for my kids, even though they're teenagers right now, and I'd like to kill them some days. Uh, <laughs> I still want them to breathe. <laughs> we'll be back right after this. We are back on Leslie Marshall, back with CEO of Capital Markets Partnership, CMP. Their website, capitalmarketspartnership.com. Mike Italiano uh, is our guest. Uh, Mike, uh, before we get into solutions, is there anything that you want to say that I didn't get to ask uh, before we get to some of these solutions proposed by your company, Capital Markets Partnership, to achieve that 2030 deadline to preserve a livable planet that IPCC recommended? Uh, Leslie, no, I, I think getting into solutions, um, maybe talking a little bit about the San Francisco Bay Area can help people um, get a feel for what we're talking about, how this would work. Um, so, for example, California and the Bay Area have more green buildings than any place in the world. Uh, the high-tech industry there uh, has more companies going public, more venture capital firms. So there's two programs that we're working on right now uh, that could, uh, through initial public offerings that are green, in other words, companies want to go public, um, and if they do it in a green way, which is standardized now with underwriting standards, they can greatly increase the value of their company three, four, five times because of the investor demand. Um, so with green initial public offerings, because so many companies would like to do this uh, in the Bay Area, probably would add about $600 billion to the economy of the Bay Area over five years. Um, and that's ready to be launched right now. We're working on uh, scheduling that event to launch that market. Um, secondly, with green buildings, uh, private sector green building owners have to finance those buildings um, and refinance. 
when they do that, uh, if they issue a bond, let's say you have a $400 million uh, green building in downtown San Jose, um, if they issued a bond uh, that's higher rated, which we've uh, secured those higher credit ratings, um, for about $2 billion in zero emission buildings in San Jose, we've documented it would add $158 million in added value to that company. So if you had a portfolio owner that has $50, million, $50 billion rather, in green buildings, uh, that would add about $5 billion to the company's bottom line. It would allow cheaper capital for those building owners. So right now, if you went to a bank, and you want to get a bank loan for construction, you're getting 5% interest. Uh, you know, If you use the higher credit ratings, you get 4%. That would have a, an, an immediate dramatic effect on the market. If all of a sudden everywhere globally, building owners could say, hey, I'm going to you know, use these higher credit ratings. I'm going to get 4% as opposed to 5 and the conventional buildings are going to get 5 and higher. Uh, that market impact is immediate. We don't need government. Um, so these are, these are some of the solutions and we need to act fast because things like sea level rise flooding is accelerating greatly. Uh, we've done work with NASA jet propulsion laboratories and documented that the Thwaites glacier, the largest contributor to sea level rise flooding in Antarctica, um, is about ready to increase, uh, sea level rise flooding about 10 times. Now that could be based on our calculations, maybe $500 billion in protections that are required by the Bay Area by 2030. Uh, the, these private sector bonds can help pay for that, though. So th those are some solutions. Uh, we need to act fast, though, because we've calculated that if we don't do this in the Bay Area, maybe by 2030, 2035, that, that $500 billion uh, cost may be $5 trillion. Um, so we really need to move fast right now so that climate resilience doesn't soon become cost prohibitive. You had mentioned the Thwaites, uh, our, our Antarctic uh, glacier uh, collapse impending. There's satellite imagery, and I, I want to point out that that collapse graphic was actually prepared after four years of peer review by NASA JPL. Uh, and, um, you know, so that, you know, this isn't like, you know, some fringe uh, group with a, a blog. I mean, these are extremely intelligent, well-educated, and and very experienced and seasoned uh, scientists uh, who give out facts uh, that many decisions throughout our nation, uh, whether you know uh, on a governmental level or certainly an environmental uh, level, uh, are made each and every day. Uh, talk to me about some of the solutions or what can be done further regarding unchecked carbon pollution. Uh, melting frozen organic matter like the the tundra and carbon pollution from wildfires. Well, those are what the scientists call call positive feedback loops. Uh, it's really a natural accelerator, and those are really tough. Um, you know, wildfires are are growing because the temperatures are higher, uh, the intensity of the fires is higher. It's burning right through the soil profile. Um, also, with the warming, um, the warming temperatures, the tundra, frozen organic matter is melting. Um, the only thing we can really do to stop that is to dramatically reduce carbon pollution. So it, it hopefully can slow the emissions, because those emissions, the methane, 
which is very powerful carbon pollutant uh, from frozen organic matter, both at the tundra but also in below the ocean, uh, those are increasing. So we're not going to be able to do anything engineering-wise to stop that. The only thing we can do is dramatically reduce carbon. The fastest way of doing that right now is through the capital markets. We don't need government approvals. These higher rated bonds and green IPOs are ready to launch. Uh, investors are screaming for it. They understand uh, how serious this is. Uh, investors have even calculated that about 6% of their investments right now are lost to climate change. So uh, we need to really focus, as the IPCC says, on reducing carbon pollution. The solutions are there. The money's there. I think this is important. A lot of people don't realize that money's there. The government, federal and state governments will follow. And when we look at the government and, and how much they're willing to pay, I mean, you have a cost of about $5 trillion when we go back to Thwaites and, uh, you know, a, a collapse. And, um, you know, they say there'll be, you know, two feet of rise by uh, 2030. Um, you know, national security is brought up with regard to Thwait, th this uh, potential impending Thwaites uh, collapse. Can you speak to that so people understand, you know, how this does, you know, play into right, national security? Right. Yeah. Now, let me clarify an important point. We don't know exactly when the two feet of rise is going to happen. However, right. uh, we do believe because the Thwaites Glacier grounding line, that's the intersection of the ice bedrock and, and ocean, is moving very fast uh, within 10 miles of a steep slope where it could collapse and increase sea level rise flooding 10 times. Um, so, uh, you know, getting money for protections now and a lot of places are doing this. San Francisco is spending billions of dollars. New York City, Charleston, um, you know, Miami-Dade County, City of Miami all require uh, development on higher ground. Um, the military has, we've worked uh, uh, intensively with the military. About six years ago, they actually got appropriations funding for sea level rise flooding, uh, paying for both global bases all over the world, as well as adjacent communities. Uh, but we need to do this now for, um, you know, like, let's take San Francisco Bay, uh, San Jose, you know, communities on the Bay Area. Uh, they need to start putting in protections. A lot of them are doing it now. Um, the money is a key, key challenge, but uh, with the higher rated bonds, uh, they can pay for, from the private sector, regional government protections that benefit um, those building owners. You mentioned Miami. We didn't talk about Miami Beach. And, it, and uh, I met my husband in Miami. I lived in Miami. I love Miami. Um, but I've been following this. And uh, you mentioned higher ground. Uh, can you speak to us? Uh, because uh, apparently there's porous bedrock there. Um, and uh, in addition, when you just look at the amount of real estate, right, you know, right. millionaires and billionaires who have oceanfront real estate, you know, if you have a collapse of that real estate market, you know, you could trigger something like we saw back in 2008 with the financial crisis and it could become Correct. global. Right. And for that reason, we're proposing in the National Consensus Resilience Standard uh, protections for two feet of rise by 2030. Uh, we're going out with a national public meeting shortly. We think that's really important because uh, Miami Beach has a critical, unique problem where the bedrock is porous. And so the sea level uh, comes up from below the ground as well as on the tidal surface. There's no permanent engineering solution for that. Um, so we don't want uh, the permanent mortgage holders in Miami Beach to be left holding the bag. There's time now. 
to deal with that. We don't want financial contagion to start, uh, which is how the 2008 credit crisis started. Uh, so this is bigger than Miami Beach. It's a global issue. Yeah. You remember the subprime fraud? Absolutely. Global uh, financial crisis. Uh, so, you know, getting to higher ground, encouraging development there, uh, like uh, Miami, uh, Miami, City of Miami and Miami-Dade County are doing is the right way to go. Uh, Mike, thank you for being with us. Interested listeners can support these nonprofit activities by donations and as volunteers helping launch the higher rated bonds and green IPOs with a federal agency, large California city and environmental groups. And you can do that by writing to MTS at sustainableproducts.com. That's MTS at sustainableproducts.com. We'll post that on our website. Speaking of the website, check out where Mike is CEO, Capital Markets Partnership. CapitalMarketsPartnership.com. Mike Italiano, our guest, is CEO of CMP. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful weekend. Marky Mark Roberts, our executive producer. And Mike, thank you for all of the education you provided. in this. My, my pleasure, Leslie. Thank you so much.